Hey, yo, Internets, what's good? This is Reggie Yosei, and this is the first part of a new thing that we're doing here at Mogul, and it's called Behind the Beats. It's interviews with the people who are responsible for making the show sound the way that it does. And that's important because original music and sound design was something that we really had to get right. You already know that I'm hip-hop, and I grew up with this music, so for me personally, I knew that everything had to be authentic, to feel real, to sound correct. So we got our beats made by some cats who are definitely legit, and we're going to hear from them today. And first up, we got Prince Paul and Don Newkirk. They wrote the song that you're listening to right now. Okay, so let me do some brief bios right now. Prince Paul, you should already know. Prince Paul is a legendary DJ and producer, best known for producing De La Soul's early albums. And Don Newkirk's a musician and producer. You might remember him for this cameo on third bassist classic jam, The Gas Face. Hey yo, man, my label mate Don Newkirk, man, step to him. Thanks, Search. And now for the Prime Minister. It's crazy. I was actually in the video for the gas face. I'm the dude with the afro wig that gets pulled off and then I give the gas face. Okay, so I caught up with Prince Paul and Don Newkirk to talk about making beats for Mogul, how they knew Chris Lighty, and their favorite moments from the show. And this is what went down. Yo, can we get some introductions, man? Um, who do I have in the studio right now? <laughs> I was waiting for Newkirk to go first. Well, I was no, being no, polite. We, 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 well, you're in the you're actually, oh, I, oh, I'm physically in the you're studio. Physically in the studio. I am physically in the studio. My name is Prince Paul, and I am just glad to be here. Thank you. And uh, who do we have over the phone? Over the phone, we have the one and only, the elusive Don Newkirk. You know, widely known for <laughs> thanks, search on the gas face and a few other things. Yo, what's up, man? So let's get started, man. Um, you guys came up with the theme song for Mogul. How did, how, yeah. did, how did that come about? How did you guys create that? Walk us through that process. New car. Ooh, it was one of the it was one of the cues actually that they had initially. It was one of the cues, and the description of the cue is what led us to create it initially. And then we knew that the um, the theme song was on the table, like, you know, there was a possibility we could do that, but we wasn't sure we was gonna do it. And when they heard that cue, Gimlet was like, man, this could actually work more than just this cue, this could work as a theme song. So they got back with us um, to, you know, just to go further on it, to develop it a little bit more, to see if it could be that. And when we went back in and we went in harder on it, and when we came back out, they were like, yeah, this this is the theme song. Let's go with this. Um, Paul, what do you think Chris would have thought of the beat? Would he have liked it? Would he have hated it? He probably would have said, it's cool, but it, it, it you know, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, something that we could take and kind of take to radio. Because <laughs> <laughs> he'll find a way to make some money off of right. it. I'll always tell you. angling, always angling for that, for that, for that, for that hook. You know, let me let me make some calls. Let me see why I can get to rhyme on it. You know, <laughs> maybe I get busted, get the hook. <laughs>
You know, um, one of my favorite parts, one of my favorite parts of the of the, of the series, was uh, Fat Joe. Whenever Fat Joe talked, man, it was amazing. And that scene where, you know, he got shot was amazing. <laughs> oh, the story is incredible. It, incredible, yeah. and just the sound design and and and, and everything was just amazing. Um, what's your favorite moments in the show, and why? Both of you guys. I know for me, and maybe because we did the music, man. Even though I like Fat Joe's story, every time I listen to any of the park jams, man, I just like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is where it's at for me too. Like the first and second episode, but especially that first episode, man, where we're dealing like what we're talking about, the, the early days of hip hop, the origin of hip hop. It's about six o'clock they start setting up. Then the music come on, and then you start hearing the music a little bit. So now everybody's like, oh, the jam is starting. People run upstairs, put on their good stuff, because you know, you got the girls in there now, so now you want to make sure you're cute. So you go in there, you put on your new leather, green leather jacket, or you put on your new Pumas. Back in the days, I will be wearing heels, flare leg leaves, it's <laughs> my name, graffiti down the side. Sweetie's knits, it's pants that, you know, different kinds. You got the rainbows. <laughs> and like a name belt buckle. You got the How did it feel to hear your music integrated? Into, into this story, man. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, um, thank you. It, it's your height. It's, it's one thing to make it, and me and Newkirk, we sit there and we have it, and it's not within, laid within the, the, the whole story. But so it then has no it, context. Yeah, it have no context. But when you hear it in the story and how well it's put it in, to me, it, it's like, wow, okay. That's, that, that's what I'm talking about, right? He's like, all right, this, this is it, okay. It, it, it builds up a, a vibe. You know, and, and in a way that I wouldn't even think of using it, you right. know, and that to me amazes me. Right. That's how it started. Hip hop, you got weed in the air outside. You listening to these DJs mix these records that you never heard before. And the way they mixed it is in tune. It's like sounding like one long record. They scratching and then they got this next beat coming in. It's like, oh, my God, I'm loving it. Wow. Yeah, that that has to be one of my favorite. Just all the all the things being brought up, the elements in the whole. Yeah, night. what it takes you back, man. What do you What do you see? What do you feel? And what do you smell when you hear this, man? Exactly what they're talking about, man. I, you know what I, what what was coming to mind a lot, like it, they, like listening to that, literally with the with the, the backdrop of the music, and listening to what, you know, he's talking about, man. I remember literally like. Being in my building, you know what I mean? If I close my eyes, I remember being in my building a nice spring day, summer day, usually in the summertime, and then you hear them speakers come on. They'd be way down the block, maybe about four blocks away, because cats had systems. Yo, man, they had speakers, just tall, tall speaker systems. You know, a lot of times the systems would go out because <laughs> they was plugged into the light poles and they'd overload it. Right. So the party would just shut down at some point sometimes get a blackout or whatever. But I remember, you know, hearing them speakers come on. And we it was almost like you was running to those to that sound. You know, like the just like, you know, the jam started. Just like you said, man. The jam started. And you you get out there and you running towards that sound. Sometimes you don't even know where it was. You just follow the sound <laughs> yeah. until you find it. Yo, that's so true, right? <laughs> you just <laughs> you didn't even know where the party was. <laughs> you just running towards the sound and then you find it. And, and don't hear... <clears throat> it was crazy, man. It was... Man. Don't hear echo chamber. Oh, my God. Then you go, oh! 
Listen, 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 listen. I, I miss the echo chamber. Man. <laughs> yeah, don't what, you? What happened to? I, I I was tweeting about this like about six months ago. I really miss the influence and the presence of the echo chamber. In hip hop, man. Oh, man. I, I bring it to my DJ. My yeah. gigs, I bring Echo Chamber. You know, you, you can't beat it, man. You had this otherworldly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love <laughs> that, man. You know, one, yeah. the, the main thing that I remember is like as, you, as you're hearing the muffled sound and you're getting closer, you start really smelling the 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 the, the weed <laughs> like wafting through the air. And it's like, I found it. You know? <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. Nobody had a better system than the rosters, though. They, oh, no, no, no. The rosters were complete. If they set up anywhere near you, you everybody's getting blown out. <laughs> yeah. They bought them shit straight what? from Jamaica, man. Straight up. Yeah. Um, the fact that you knew Chris, did that have any effect on the listening experience? That had a lot to do with the listening experience. I think if I, if I, I think just by the story there would be a definitely a level of admiration just based upon what he's done and, and you know, and his accomplishments and just how he rolled. But seeing his face and being there, you know, um, unfortunately, I was there when, when he got slashed in the face. Like, I was there. I seen it, you yeah. know, and, and I'd seen when he came back, like, oh, I'm going to get over, da, 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 you know, say, to be in the midst of him in that, him in the studio, him relating to other artists. It, it like I said, it, for me, that was part of my pressure in doing this because I felt like it's like, man, I, I can't be whack on this. I, I have to do it justice. Like, I, you just can't just, you know, man, let's try to get this money. You know what I'm saying? And, and get it done. It's like you want to have a, a certain amount of respect for him and his legacy. And I just can't be whack with it. But then again, I wouldn't want somebody else to mess it up and be wack either. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, of course. So, you know, so like I said, I thank Newkirk again because it, it, it gave me that push. Right. What was your personal highlight of working on Mogul? Newkirk? Um, personal highlight, I would say, well, it's always a personal highlight when me and Paul collab anyway. Right. So that that's definitely, the, you know, a, a good look. But pers- the, per- the big personal highlight of this was, for, you know, the purpose we were doing it for and the person we were doing it for. I felt like it was really important. You know what I mean? To like rep Chris Lighty, man. Right. Like he's such an important dude, an influential guy in like in the industry. You know, I felt like we had like a heavy responsibility. You know what I mean? To come correct, like Paul was saying earlier. Right. So that that was the highlight for me. That and just generally working with Paul, because you know, I couldn't think of anybody else I would want to do that with. You know, we're gonna do a, a story on early hip hop of Chris Lighty's entry into learning about hip hop and then becoming involved in hip-hop and then becoming an influencer in in the music scene then you know i felt like there was no two, two better people to get it in and like try to put you know better music under that right so that was a highlight for me you know i i'd have to agree with you uh everything that newkirk said but i i think you know it's gonna sound cheesy but it's very honest i think after the fact, I think when people started to come up and they said they heard the podcast and how it affected them, because they, one, they learned a lot about Chris Lighty, but then they thought, you know, it was really good and it put, it put them in a certain time in a certain place and they really got into it, to me was even bigger because I, I saw the impact. Like people actually like learned from it and enjoyed listening to it, you know, and, and that 
I didn't expect that. I thought, you know, but yeah, let's do it. Oh, yeah, people like it. I think it's cool. I think it's dope. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't know people would really gravitate to it like that. And then, you know, yo, I heard you did the music, blah, blah, blah. Yo, I did some of the music you knew, Kirk, da, da, da. And I was like, wow, okay, people really pay attention. Like, I, I didn't know. That, that to me, I think, really amazed me. You know, so my, my big fear is, you know, I wasn't as close um, with Lighty when I worked in the music industry. We had done a couple of deals. We hung out once or twice. But Lighty was always this intimidating dude. And I knew at a certain point I wasn't in his inner circle. Right. And there were certain deals where we had clients that wanted to sign the violator and some things didn't work out. And I saw kind of like that business scary side. Not the street scary side, right, but the right. business scary side of Lighty. So working with this project, I was so concerned because Lighty was so private. Right. He was also very powerful. When he wanted something done, he went all out and got it done. When he didn't want something done, he would shut it down. And so my whole thing was like working on moguls. Like I absolutely know 100% if Chris Lighty was alive, he would do everything in his power to stop this project. That's how I feel, right? <laughs> That's why I told you he revised my song and make it, make it radio. But, but at the end of the day, you know, in terms of the heights and all the barriers that Chris Lighty broke in hip hop, what we're doing with hip hop through podcasts, he would have been like, yo, my nigga, I, I, you, you did that shit. Like, yeah. I, I got props. You know what I'm saying? It was very well, well, well put together. So my question to you is, having been part of this, knowing Lighty, and, and even you, Newkirk, like being from that era, what do you think Lighty would have thought of this project? I think... Man. I, I think exactly... That's I, all you go ahead, please. Oh, I, th I think ex exactly how you said it. Like, he, he would listen to it, and he, I'm sure he'd... I didn't do that. <laughs> I'm sure that. Everybody would nitpick a few things, but I would think he'd be very proud of it, you know? And, and, and I, I hate to say this, but he would... Yo, how can we monetize? Where's this? the movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's make the next deal off of this. This is this is a good start. But how do we monetize this to make it bigger? How can we get the merchandising? And how can we? How do we get a mogul sandwich in Burger King? <laughs> <laughs> the mogul burger. And be very serious about it. Right. You know what I'm saying? How's he making money? I'm not making money. Yeah. It's my story. Right. Exactly. You know? So it, it, I, yeah, I can hear that echoing. No, that's dope, man. <laughs> Well, I got to thank you guys, man, not only for your um, contributions to to Mogul, man, but like really contributions to the culture, contributions to to the music and, and, and the business and everything that's really helped and influenced and, and enhanced my life. So really, thank you, uh, Don Newkirk. Thank you, Prince Paul, oh, man. Thank you, man. And, 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 and keep on doing oh, it, man. Thank you, man. Yes, sir. Yeah, a lot. Appreciate yeah, it. Word. Appreciate it. Coming up after the break. We hear from DJ, composer, and songwriter extraordinaire, Nana Corbena. Hey, yo, moguls. We're back with the second part of Behind the Beats. And next up, we're going to talk to Nana Corbena. Now, Nana's a producer, songwriter, DJ, and sound engineer. Chances are, even if you don't know the name, you know his beats. Nana co-produced that song by Jadena, Classic Man. Nana came into the studio to talk about his work on Mogul and his creative process. And here's what went down. Tell us how you first got involved with Mogul. Yes, I have two great managers, Donna Budika and Mikhail Moore. And Mikhail had been having 
some conversations and kind of connected it all up. He told me that they were working on a project about Chris Lighty, which I was like, man, that's interesting because at, at that at that current time, you know, Chris Lighty to me was somebody who, you know, had situations been different, been looked at as one of the black entrepreneurs in the same way that you look at an L.A. Reid, right. in the same way that you look at a Diddy, like in the same like these legends essentially, and he what he is one of those guys, yes, you know, definitely certified legend. Yeah, and and but there was from I remember like. At the time of his passing, it just there was a lot of things that just seemed, and even in my perspective, being that distant, that just seemed a little funky, a little fishy. So I like the idea. Like, of, like how does someone from that position? Yeah, how does someone from that position end up like this? Right. And and there's a lot no one really knows. So when I heard about the project, I was like, oh, this is I love investigative stuff where right. people are like, hold on, man. And we don't get that in hip hop. Not at all. Not in hip hop. And then they get it in podcast form. It was just a lot of. I was like, what is what what is. You got my attention. Right. I'm all ears. You know what I mean? So I was like, man, this is this is great. And then the more I learned about the project, it actually became great because it returned me to what I fell in love with in terms of hip hop. You know, like even just which being was, which was what? Which was just the foundation of a dope beat <laughs> and and the feeling of just great, great samples, to be honest with you. Like as a creative, I was like, this is a story that needs to be investigated that people need to know and especially as we're in a whole new generation of music and hip-hop right now you know what i mean where they're there i remember like i remember being in college and being a mentor to kids that we'd bring kids on the penn's campus and they i remember the years that people started uh losing memory of tupac and biggie and that was mm, a big deal for me i was like crazy. man what right. how can you how can this be? Yeah, that's, Who that's, let that's this happen to you? That's sacrilegious. Yeah, you know what I mean? But I remember like, and fast forward to where we are now, you know, and it's like a whole nother generation is coming. You know what I mean? And there are people that didn't even know about the the Nazis of the world and people right after the Biggies and Tupac. Anyway, point being that it felt important for like, as the culture continues to move on and press on to tell, go back and retell and shine light on some of these older stories that people should be aware about. And, um, so from that level to like just the idea of like even creatively being able to go back in a space where I'm not having to make music of the times right now. Right. And man, it, it actually, this project has actually changed me. It's really? actually How so, man? definitely. Oh my God. <laughs> what? what, man? So one of the records I have on repeat right now, obviously, is Jay-Z's record. 444. Yeah. 444. 444. Ama amazing album. Yeah. Between that and this project. It's opened up something in me that's returned me to what I fell in love with the craft of making hip hop music. It pulled me out of my contemporary space for a moment in time and reintroduced me to a space that made me fall in love with making music to begin with. Wow. That's amazing, man. Yeah. So like I'd wake up and I'd get I'd get I'd be like, oh, this is the world that we're in right now. We're in we're in Fat Joe's world. We in the Bronx right now. Woo! <laughs> and the way I make music, my process is like, I got to be all the way in it. So my process, I wake up in the morning, my ritual is like, I come down, I make a little something for breakfast, get my coffee, you know, and then, but I need, my environment has to be right. So I would have the YouTube playlist of, you know, 90s rap videos in the background, mm. right? But I pick the songs or whatnot, I pick like, 
you know, Bronx, it'd be like, all right, could have today we're gonna we're gonna be in the Bronx today. Be and nice. I make my own little playlist. I have those videos going on my TV for like two hours. Then what so that was just for the visual, but it'd be on mute. Right. And then what I, I also needed to hear different musicians. So I'd play on Spotify, I'd play just other artists essentially, right? And I so I'd have different visuals that didn't match up with the music, but I just needed to be in the world essentially. And then what I'd do is I'd like, I'd, I don't know, lately I've grown a green thumb. I've had a brown thumb my whole life. So I've been trying to get better as a horticulturalist, if you will. <laughs> so um, I would, I, when I'd have these visuals on and I'd have this music on, I'd water my plants and I'd do that for like two hours. Like I'd, that's a lot of plants. It's a lot of plants, right? Yeah, I've, I've definitely <laughs> invested in some greenery. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I'd be in there pruning. Right. I'd be in there doing all types of stuff. I'd be experimenting with some of them where I'd like put ice in some and see how those ones are different. I don't know. I was wow. really into science and chemistry, so okay. I used to like experiments. So I'd be like, all right, I'm going to give these plants ice and see how they react. I'm going to give these ones banana peels. I'm going to give these ones coffee grinds. You put some sugar in the water too, man? I never did the sugar. Right, right, right. Is, that, is that a trick? I mean, they, they say it keeps... Flowers fresh. Really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'm going to try that when I get back, actually. So, <laughs> so I'd be having these little, doing these little experiments, whatever, but I'd be soaking in the music and I'd be like, you know, I, you know, I have this incense that I love to burn to just clear the space and put my mind. So, but point being that if you came into my session, you'd be like, what is this guy doing? This guy, are you like, yo, are you making, are you being productive right now? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah this is, I'm making music right now. This is my process. Exactly. But the beauty of that process is for three hours, I'm marinating in the world for three hours. So when I go to make music finally on that third, fourth hour, it's, it's coming from a different you're, place. You're, yeah, you're in a different space. Bro. It's coming from, I've, I'm marinating, bro. I'm marinating. So it became my whole day just being, I'd be in the Bronx the whole day, essentially. I'd be off social media. I'm not listening to no the Kardashians, no Black Chinas, yeah. no nothing. I'm in it. <laughs> so it would be great to leave and escape and be in this, these new worlds and make music. And it opened up something inside of me where I was like, man, I don't feel the need to add 16th note trap hi-hats to this production right now. Right. So for me, it just really put me in a space of tapping into a part of my soul and my spirit that hasn't been... I haven't talked to in a while, you know? And it just rebirthed something in me where, like, it actually started leaking into my current music. Well, that's dope, man. Definitely. Definitely. Like, I'm I'm free right now in a, in a different kind of space. And Mogul, actually, y'all should probably get a credit on the next thing that I see. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's dope, man. Yo, listen, let's take a moment yeah. and, and listen back to some to how we use yeah. um, some of your music in the show, and let's talk about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, this is episode three. Yeah. Um, and Chris Lighty just signed Warren G. Yeah. And we just had a a, a big hit, The Regulator, mm -hmm. the song Regulator. And Warren's talking about how they, how they celebrated mm -hmm. in the pool parties and mm -hmm. the whole nine. So let's listen to this, man. Mm -hmm. we, had, we had some good parties together. I, 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 I got to... I gotta say, we probably we've had the the you know like how N.W.A. had Wet and Wild. You this is Def Jam. Bikinis, shorts, the summertime. That was the mode. We uh, rented a mansion, and uh, we had uh, shuttles. You know, people would park in Beverly Hills. We had the shuttles bring everybody up to the mansion. We the ones started that, by the way. 
You know, everybody in Hollywood, from movies to hip-hop and music in general, they do that now. But we started that, me and Chris Lighty. Everybody else followed after that. So that's how we had it, man. And we had it to where everything was laid out when you come in the door. Uh, you got a bar, walk up another level. You can eat live barbecue being cooked, steaks, whatever you wanted was right there. Then you go up again, you got the dance floor. And we had other side rooms, cards, uh, dominoes, whatever. And just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of beautiful ladies. And uh, me and Chris was in the middle of it all. That's amazing. That's Man. just real fascinating. Man. Um, you talked about, you know, um, how you set up everything to, to do the Fat Joe segment mm -hmm. and how you lived in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. Talk about this process. Yeah. Like going back to Cali, yeah. mid-90s. Yeah. Man. Thing about West Coast music, especially being a you know an East Coast guy, it's so uh, it's de man. definitely different. It's definitely different. And, you know, it's like, you know, some people, you know, they, they have that allegiance to be tied to their coast. Um which I had an element of, but I, it for me was also just again I I was raised on music that was even beyond America, so my ear was like I just appreciated great music from an early age, and for me the beauty of producers like Dre and the beauty of um, just G Funk, right, was like was what it was influenced by. The funk, right? And it was like the P funk. P funk. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's from the G to the P. And and it was like it it was it's that element of of musicality and like groove and um bounce. Bounce and like funk. Just like <laughs> so I had to go back and live in that world, even listening to regulate. Then it made me like listen to just what they even sampled, you know, and I'm, then I'm getting in a place where I'm like, you know, I, like I said, I have to go back. It's like music is like a Wikipedia for me. I got it. All right. That song, who influenced that song? Eventually I'm like, it's four in the morning and I'm listening to like Yacht Rock and like Michael McDonald. And all <laughs> like, I'm like, how did I get you here? Went there, huh? Oh my God. I have to, I have to. And, um, just, you know, like I said, you do that for, for a couple of hours and you're, you're just, it's just coming out of you essentially at some point, you know, you're just, you're literally just a, uh, a vessel. Right. And what you've been marinating in just starts coming out. And so I remember being in that place and like playing the um, the bass. And I love great bass grooves, man. I love great bass patches and that that thickness and that buzz that moves. Like I just love, oh man, I, love, I call it, the, it's like the voodoo for me. It's yeah, like, that's the where voodoo. The, woo, when I get that <laughs> bass groove right, oh man, I love it. So then applying the bass groove and, and then building the drums and playing the piano chords and 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 that feeling and then to, to cap it off like particularly with that last the second beat you know it's like one of the last things that i like to do in my process is um i have to put my vocal on it in some way like if i don't if i'm if i get to the end of a beat and it doesn't make me want to rap on it then i haven't done my job or sing on it then i haven't done my job because i know if i don't want to sing on it but who well, else is inspired to, sing to on? do it right and so this I, is your baby that's yeah that's one of my litmus tests for right. whether or not i allow this beat to even exist in the world and bounce it right so i remember getting to the end and being oh this is whoo, i'm about to pour a little about to pour a little something 
We about to get him out. It's four in the morning. We just listened to Michael McDonald. We just made this joint. So I do that and I'll play the beat for like three minutes and I'll just get on the mic and freestyle. And sometimes those are real words. Sometimes they're just me crewing or hitting different melodies and notes. And then I'll go back. You know, I, I think it was Hemingway said, write drunk, edit sober. <laughs> so I wake that's, up. That's the, great. So I come back the next day and sober. I'd be like, let's make yeah, Let's make let's figure out what is this madness. And usually somewhere in the chaos of what happened the night before. There's some small gem in there somewhere, and I just got to excavate it and find this gold. So then I found that little, I guess I hit that little riff, and I just chopped that up, uh, made it a loop, and put some effects on it to give it a little bit of magic and, and dynamic. And that was that. Yo, what was your favorite part of the show? <sighs> Man. One of the things that really hit me was um, you guys taking the moment to two times taking the moment to acknowledge mental health, right? And suicide. And also taking a moment to acknowledge domestic abuse, yeah. providing resources to people that are actually listening. So that it's not just a story, but there's actually, there's actually something action. in it for you action. that can be action and actionable. Man, that for me did something where I was like, man, this is like investigative, but responsible like really, like it was just a new, don't underestimate that specific right. approach. That was paramount because you're not just getting a, getting a story, but it's actually taking a moment to actually reach people in a real, making it real in their life and removing bias. Right. That's powerful. Yeah, that was important. That's powerful. That's approach if, it with bias. Yo, if that's what art is, bro. Like art, what is art? I'm sorry. I'm. This is where I start getting a little up. That's, that's okay. No, man. this is that's, it because this is what this. I'm, I'm, what I am not. Let's go. Let's what go. I am not. What I am not is I am not somebody that is art for art's sake, and I get it. That's fine. There are supposed to be people that. Oh my god! Just I don't know what I was feeling at the time. <laughs> I just made. You can't put it in a box. That's fine. That's cool. The world needs some of those. But I'm somebody that always looked at art as a vehicle for real, tangible change. What is your art doing if it's just cool for a moment and it's not real in my life? Then you're a muse. That's all you are. It's not real. I, I revered the artists that took their craft and it became real in people's life. It played a role. There was a shift. And it doesn't even have to be anything like revolutionary where it's like, yo, man, my whole life different God. And I'm like, you know what I mean? It doesn't even have to be that far. <laughs> right. It could be something like, man, that whatever that was that I just experienced made me want to call my mom today. Right. That's a revolutionary act. And what's the biggest difference between, like, say, recording for an album mm -hmm. and recording for um, a podcast where there's a narrative? Yeah. Um, there are differences, but I actually think they're more similar in the sense of either way, whether it's an, whether it's an artist or whether it's a podcast, there is a story. It's all storytelling. That's all it is at the end of the day. And the role that music plays is to enhance the story. It's not to, it's not, oh, unless you're making instrumental music where that's just it, your goal is to complement and even beyond complement, enhance and even make the story even better. And that's, a, that's something that you have to remove your own ego because and not, actually, there's, you know, there's benefits to embracing your ego, but I think that this, that story is paramount. Mm 
And it's using all of your talents to make that story uh, m even more potent through the power of sound, essentially. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, That's indeed. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. One more question. Is, yeah. your, is your Millie Rock sturdy? Oh, very much so. <laughs> I've been on the Explore page, Millie Rock, for four days. I, I see you've been doing it. I see you doing it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Man, man, it's a pleasure, man. Indeed. Thanks for having me, man. I really, really appreciate it. And it's been great to be part of an amazing project, man. Definitely. That's such a dope beat, man. Like, it, it's still, you know, it, it, it still has that gravitas from the first time that I heard it, man. It's, it's such a dope beat. Okay, here we go. So thanks so much for hanging out with us for this Behind the Beats episode. This episode was produced by Meg Driscoll. Our senior producer is Matthew Nelson. Our editor is Pat Walters. Thanks to Stevie Lane and Alvin Mel F. Sound design and mixing by Haley Shaw. Music direction by Matthew Bowe. We have one more episode of Behind the Beats coming. It's with Haley Shaw and Matthew Bowl, the sound engineers who mix the show. Keep an eye on your feed for that. If you like what we're doing here, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others find out about the show. For more bonus content and information about the show, follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Mogul. And be safe. <laughs>